0: Alright, right, so we are returning to our series after about a three-week break here uh, to the Sermon on the Mount. And we are actually in the dead center of the sermon. And uh, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And it's fitting because prayer is central to uh, kingdom living. And so we've learned a lot about prayer so far. It's not mechanical, it's not designed to impress, Uh, it's not a token act. It's incredibly intimate, it's an intimate act, and it's essential for kingdom alignment. So in the Lord's Prayer, we get Jesus' direct explanation of what life with God is like, how we interact with him which is clearly something we have to learn. So, you know, you have disciples or learners. That's essentially what they are. You've put yourself in a position to learn from Jesus how to live. And the Sermon on the Mount is doing exactly that. But you you don't have too many times where the disciple actually says, yeah, I need to learn something. Like, think about that. How many times in the Gospels does one of the disciples say, you know, I really need to learn that. But with prayer, they do it. You know, we really need to learn how to do that. It's really powerful. And it says something to us immediately. This is something you do have to learn. And a lot of people get into their Christian lives and never really have that kind of learning. But prayer is something you learn, kind of like communication in your marriage. You know, one of the things that almost devastated our marriage early on was my complete inability to communicate and communicate well. And uh, over time now, I would say I'm not really amazing at it today. I still don't, you know, do it all right. But we communicate a lot better. And it makes it makes for a whole lot healthier marriage if you can if you can do that. So um, same with the Lord's Prayer, you learn how to do it, and there never seems to be a year that goes by that you don't have to tweak that in your marriage. Same in prayer. So don't be don't marvel too much that you don't have prayer down. It's something you got to keep learning how to do. The same way you would say we haven't mastered communication in our marriage, we keep working on it, on it, and it gets better. That's the way it is with prayer. Something you got to learn. So the master of the universe, we've talked about Jesus as the master of the universe, uh, is also the master of prayer, and he gives us like words and expressions. So that we can communicate intelligently and intimately with God. Now, um, so in, since the last time we met, I think, maybe it's been just a touch longer. I've been in three church services, not at Hillside. Two of them in Romania. And one of them at a local Lutheran church. In which the Lord's Prayer was recited out loud everybody stood up and did it and it was incredible to hear now in the church in Romania the one we had in that in the morning uh, three hours long on a Sunday there three-hour service uh, and no translator and so I was uh, it was it was long (laughs) three hours but when they got to the Lord's Prayer, I could tell. I mean, there was a certain, certain cadence to it, and you could almost follow along to it. We could do that in any language, and you'd probably be able to feel it. And they did that, and it was great. And then uh, uh, that evening service, it was a two-hour service, and I was speaking at that service. And the pastor, you know, I didn't have any sermon with me. I didn't have anything with me. I wasn't really preparing to speak. It kind of got thrown on me while we were there. And, uh, and the pastor said to me, you have one hour. And I said, I've never heard that at my church, ever. No one's ever said that to me. So thank you very much. At the time I didn't have anything to say, but we did go an hour. I just want you guys to know. It did go an hour, you're not surprised. Uh, but what I will tell you is at uh, all three, location to do that. It was really good to do it together. And so three weeks out to get back into it. Could I ask you to stand one more time and recite this prayer with me? It'll come up on the screens for you. I'll read it out of here. Uh, Let's just say it together out loud. Ready? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. All right, very good. Thank you. So when we when we talk about uh, the prayer, the prayer has three parts. And we've looked at the first one already. The first one uh, was the address. And we said that the address is incredibly important because it has to do with how you approach God. If you don't have the right approach, then you're probably not going to uh, understand what the, whole communi- what the whole point of the communication is about, if you don't have the right approach. Uh, so after you fight to get there, you got to believe that this God who is in the heavens really cares about you, and he's your father. All right? That he has interest in you, and he wants to connect with you, and what you have to say matters. Uh, So even though he's everywhere, you relate to him as somebody who loves you and cares about you and is intimately related to you. And this means that you don't have to have some special language. You don't have to have been a Christian for you know 25 years. You don't have to like know a whole bunch of stuff. When your dad hears from you, he wants you to talk like you talk. So you don't have to be intimidated. Or feel like you've got some special language you have to learn to talk to them. All right? So that's really important. If you don't have that approach, then it's really hard to, to get under the other issues and things that are in the... And, and, and you'll lose interest in prayer. We talked about that plenty. So that's the first part of the prayer is the address. The second part is... Our concern, you become part of the kingdom and you get involved with Jesus, your concerns change. You are concerned about God's ultimacy, uh, his glory. You know who you're dealing with and you become concerned about the things he's concerned about, that's the second part. And then the third part are our concerns about our own well-being. We have concerns about our own well bringing that we that we take before God. So uh, today we're going to look at uh, our concern for God's ultimacy and His glory as we think about how we pray. So, um, so this is this is how it starts. After you address God, you say, "Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done." on earth as it is in heaven his name his kingdom and his will those are things that concern people who are in the kingdom and when you pray those concerns come out now there's a couple of things to grasp about the prayer that will help us a lot but first of all these statements, what are they supposed to mean? What are they supposed to imply? Well, there's a tense and a mood and a voice used in, the, in, a, in prayer language for, for in this particular prayer. How do, you, how do you incorporate those things into a language of prayer? Well, the first thing is the tense. When you say, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, there's an urgency to them. The tense suggests urgency. And it suggests completion. We want it, and we want it now. We want your name lifted up now completely. We want your kingdom to come completely. We want your will to be done fully. Now, you see the end kind of a picture. The other part of it is the mood, because it's an imperative. It's a command. It sounds like we're commanding God, but in the language of prayer, it's not an imperative that you understand as a command. It's a wish. God, we long for your kingdom to come now fully. We long for your will to be done fully. We long for your name to be lifted up fully. It's a longing. It's a wish. And then there's the voice. It's a passive voice. We're telling God, we're asking God to do it because only he can. That's the idea, that God has to do it not active, something we do. It's something he does. Uh, we, we couldn't do it alone if we wanted to. But, the, but that voice also suggests that he does it through the one who's asking. Okay, it's not just, hey, God, if you'll just come in and, if you'll just pop in and just take care of all that, that'd be great. And you're excluded from any effort in that. That's not how it is. In this sense, the prayer joins us to the request. We partner with God on those three concerns of his. We're not saying, hey, God, just do it. We're saying, hey, God, we understand. You involve us in the process of these three things happening. And we're engaged and involved in the process. Uh, so the things that matter to him and concern his glory we are engaged in those things so you need to grasp that now let me ask you a question because this sort of addresses and you can't help but ask it I think right here that is wait a minute aren't those things going to happen anyway that was a great background music to that question Isn't it going to happen already? Aren't those things going to happen already, whether you pray them or not? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Well, then why pray them? Have you ever asked that? So what you're learning in this prayer, in this partnership, is that whatever it is you think about prayer, it's not something you can say, well, God's going to do it anyway, so I don't need to talk to him. We do not get to say that. As his children. He wants us talking to him about the things that concern him. He wants us engaged in those things because he's interested in what we have to say about those things. Because we help bring them about. He partners with us to bring them about. So you don't get to say, well, you'll do it anyway. So on one level, you're recognizing who God is and only he can really do it. You know, I never pray without the sense that he is supreme and must be supreme. He must have his way. And that life and reality are really a mess if he doesn't get his way. But this is how God wants us to relate to him. And I will tell you. Probably for the duration of your spiritual life here on earth, it'll always feel funny to talk to God about things that he's going to do, whether you talk to him or not. It'll always feel a little funny. But that's okay. It's exactly what he wants. You come talk to me about the things that concern me. Because I want us to partner with him. I want you involved in him. That's just how God's arranged it. So you don't get to check out of prayer. Because that's like checking out of the kingdom. It's like saying, I don't need to be involved, you, you handle it. That's not what this prayer is doing. If you read it that way, then you're misunderstanding what he's saying. Because it's an invitation into God's plan. Uh, Edmund Clowney said something years ago. I read this, and it's, a, uh, it's always stuck with me. Because... Like you, I have the same kind of struggles when it comes to prayer. Uh, And he said this, the Bible does not so much present an art of prayer. It presents the God of prayer. Which means I'm not gonna sit around and argue with God about why I think Prayer is such a complicated thing when you're dealing with a sovereign supreme being who's going to do what he wants to do anyway. I don't get to I don't get to do argue with God about that. What I'm dealing with is a God who wants me to talk about that. That should be enough. Is that enough? It's about the God that I'm dealing with, not my interpretation of how prayer ought to work. And because of this, and because you're so great, and I'm so small, there's no way this makes any sense. We don't get to do that. We're dealing with a God who's asked us to communicate with him about his concerns. That's what this is about. So this is the reason why, this is the reason why you have to ask yourself, do I really want these things? Like, do I really want his kingdom to come? Do I really want his name to be lifted high and, you know, in my life? Do I really want his will to be done? You can't pray these things without that question having to be answered in your own life. This is why uh, John Stott and his excellent, but old, older work now, and of course he's passed, but He says this, whether we can pray these petitions with integrity is a searching test of the reality and the depth of our Christian profession. So it becomes an expression. Not only are we recognizing that God is sovereign and we need to to interact with those things, but it's also expressing a longing to connect with what God is doing. So you have this this language here. Okay, so we have this language in heaven and we're like all craving for heaven to come down and and what he's saying is I want all this to be done here on earth in our life. It's a really important concept here Um, because the two realities are blended. Prayer brings the two realities together. All right, so... I can't, I can't want, I can't want what this is and not want it here too. You see what I'm saying? This is, this is a really important point. Uh, We've talked about it many times before. Because when we think about forever, we think about heaven, we think about all that stuff. Uh, the people that don't want him and his rule in their life now will not want him and his rule later. Okay, so you can't be praying for all the great stuff of heaven to happen and one day it'll happen. You've got to connect to the reality now in your own life. Because a strange thing, strange thing happens when you're heading when you head into eternity. You become more of what you are. You become more of what you are, not less of it. So if you wanted God's will here, you will want it in a complete way there. If you don't want him now, you won't want him then. My, heaven will be a miserable place for somebody who doesn't want God's will to be done because it will be done at every turn there. There. So, the prayer looks at the end, sees the completion. God ultimately glorified the kingdom actually here, uh, his will actually being done. It's not concerned about, it's not detailing process. Like, how does that happen? All right, God, you're up there, you're sovereign, you're going to make it happen, I'm involved in that. What does that look like when the two worlds collide and meet? This gives you your, the language and the reason why you pray once, once you understand that. Um, so even though it doesn't explain that process, it assumes it. The one praying is connecting himself to this sovereign will. So there's, there's definitely a connection to it. Uh, And prayer engages us in it. You can't long for it and all that it means and not actively integrate it into your life. What will it say in Matthew 6, 33? Just a little bit later, we're going to see it. Not too long from now. Seek the kingdom first. Okay, well, here you're praying, hey, God, bring your kingdom. In Matthew 6.33, a little bit later, he's going to say, you seek it. And so you have this sort of play going, uh, you say bring it, I say seek it. You say bring it, I say seek it. See, because you're meeting in the middle. You want me to bring my kingdom? I'm asking you to seek that kingdom. Meet me in the middle. We'll do it together. How's the kingdom going to come to fruition? In your life. It's going to happen in your life. That's, that's, that's the beauty of it. So then how do you pray this? What does it look like to pray? Well, let's look at, all, let's look at these three lines and, and see how we would go about actually talking about it because I don't think, I think you can say, you know, I really want the Lord's name to be sanctified because that's what hallowed means, sanctified, really. Set apart, special, unique, God is other, Boy, it would be really nice if the whole world, because it's a completed process, I really think it would be great if the whole world saw God for who he really is and his unique otherness, his holiness. That would be great. That's the prayer. So how do you pray? Do you have to say that when you pray? Or what does it look like to pray that? So let's talk about it. there will come a day when, when people will actually see God and he will be lifted up and everybody will see it and it won't be just part of the world. But it'll be universal. Every place, every person, his name will be set apart, special, unique. That's what holy means, set apart, special, unique. To sanctify the name means to put him in his rightful place. And so one writer says this. This request is based upon the deepest need of the human world. Human life is not about human life. Nothing will go right in it until the greatness and goodness of its source and governor is adequately grasped. His very name is then held in the highest possible regard. And until that is so, the human compass will always be pointing in the wrong direction and individual lives as well as history as a whole will suffer from constant and fluctuating disorientation. That's the world we live in because God is not in his rightful place. He's not seen for who he is. And this prayer matches your heart. This is the concern of somebody who lives in the kingdom. Ah, what a day it will be when everybody sees him that way. But it has implications for you. You can't spit that out and it not have implications for your life. So, what does it mean? Well, we have a little bit of a background to this. So, walk. This is a little, this is really interesting. Let's look at Ezekiel 36, take an Old Testament illustration of, of what that might look like. So, here's God speaking to Israel who've been disobedient. I had concern for my holy name. And the house of Israel profaned it. So, you know, the first question is, well, how did you do that? Because it would be the opposite of what the prayer is. Somehow they profaned it. The other nations came into their life, and pretty soon they were concerned about things God was not concerned about, and he didn't have their rightful place anymore. That's the whole point. Therefore, I'm saying to you, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel that I'm about to act. God's going to do something about that. His name being profaned. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. In other words, when we say name, we mean his his person and his character, all of who he is. It's not that you just said a bad word. That's not what this means, to profane the name. All right? But look. Uh, let's see, is it here? I will vindicate my holiness, the holiness of my great name, which has been profane among the nations, which you have profaned, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. So whatever happens when, you pro- when we profane his name, we don't lift it high. Others don't recognize him. You say, how does God's name get sanctified? When we lift him up, others can see it. When through you, look, God's intention is to, through you, vindicate my holiness before their eyes. In other words, I'm gonna do something in you that is gonna allow you to sanctify my name, to make my name holy. In other words, it's never God's intention just to do it on his own. When you pray that prayer, I want your name to be holy, it's because of you, in your classroom, in your workstation, in your car. One of the most unholy places on the planet. Your house, your family. What are you doing? What's happening? Are you lifting his name in that? Okay. I will take you from the nations. I will get, well, let's start, let's just stop there for just a second and just say something here because he's going to go into something that's called the new covenant, which is, this is God saying, let me tell you, I'm going to have to do a radical work in people's hearts if they're going to see me the way I, I need to be seen. So the spirit comes in and writes the law on the heart and then on every one of our hearts, look, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You'll, shall, you'll be clean. And I will give you a new heart. It's essentially what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. That's us with a new heart. We have a new heart. We lift up God's holy name. We don't profane it anymore. How did they profane the name? Well, I'll I'll answer that question for you in a minute. But look, uh, I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove that heart of stone and put a new heart in you. I'll put my spirit inside of you. That's the new covenant. That's Jesus dying on a cross, heading up, and the spirit coming down. The spirit will come down inside of us. It's the new covenant. It's what we're living in. That's the prediction that it will happen. So uh, what we learn here in, uh, in this is in verses, look, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all in your uncleanness and from all your idols. That's all that happened. Is your, you lost your affection for me and you put it towards something else. Something else has your attention. I don't have my rightful place in your life, so I don't have a rightful place in the world. You want to pray God have a rightful place in the world? You better give me rightful place in your heart because that's the way I have my name lifted up is through you, where you are. In other words, you come to prayer and you go, you could say, you know, Lord, right now a concern of mine is that I don't, I don't know if, uh, I'd love for your name to be lifted up, but I don't even know if I'm lifting it up. I don't even know if I care about your holiness. And there's a sense, Lord, in which you have been diminished in my life. You used to be here, but now you're here. Not as high as you used to be. When you pray, that's what you're praying. God, it seems like something has my attention, not you. You can pray that a million different ways. But there is no way we can come to prayer on a daily basis and not be concerned about that say it any way you want to. Second thing is let your kingdom come. Let your name just be sanctified, set apart in my life, but your kingdom come. Again, completion in mind, and all of us some way, shape, or form consciously or unconsciously have prayed this prayer. You just, you can't help it. In the face of injustice and evil, you're like, oh, God, I wish you would just come and rule over everything. Because we are screwing it up bad in this world. And so you're like, please, God, come take over. So we can have justice and peace and no more pain. Because under your reign, that's what we'll have. Every, every place on the planet, every person on the planet, and everything on the planet will be aligned perfectly with you and Your way will happen everywhere. What a world. So, it anticipates victory over sin when you pray this kind of prayer. And it gives us eternal perspective because we know where history's headed. As bad as things get, and it just seems like there's another thing to think, I don't think it can get worse. There's never ultimate despair. And somebody who lives in the kingdom, because we know exactly where history's headed, and one of these days he will rule over it all. And all of our angst and pain will be relieved. But that's the future. And sometimes we pray that. God, just come, do it. But when we pray that prayer, we can't imagine that somehow God's going to come back and set up a kingdom if if he doesn't rule our worlds. You can't pray for the kingdom to come and not want it to rule you now. That's why there is a sense in which the kingdom is already here. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember when we started the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 4? This is what made the whole conversation come up. Jesus begins to preach. His ministry starts. What does he say? Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Praying the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for the kingdom to come. Jesus said, there's a sense in which it's already here. When I come into your life, I rule over you. When I rule over you and you do what I ask you to do in your life, then my kingdom comes alive right wherever you are. Wherever you are doing what I would want done, the kingdom has come alive. The kingdom's come. It's smaller, You know, you read Matthew 13, and you get the parables about the kingdom and how the kingdom is now. And it's small. It's kind of like yeast and bread, and it's kind of like a little seed in the ground. And it's like a, a tree that the birds come in. It's small. It just, it, it, it's tiny. It's, it's hidden in a lot of ways. It shows up. It's, it's not visible to everyone. It shows up in your life in unique ways. You know, when you're obedient to God, the kingdom appears. Uh, We can let him have his will and way in our lives now. Uh, And his, his rule can extend to every part of our lives. There's no part of your life you can't let his rule in. And you can actively, you can choose to be a part of things, whether they're projects or activities that bring about the wonders of the kingdom that will come when he comes and, 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 and show the world the, uh, sort of new order, new world order. Like last week, we spent two of the last weeks parading people up here that we partner with and support who are doing amazing kingdom work feeding and caring for and serving and clothing and educating and discipling people in all different kinds of places. And we brought them up here and we were just like amazed to hear the kind of work they're doing. That's the kind of work when God comes back that we're going to want. Somebody bring justice and, and peace and help and care. And you can engage in those things. That's why many of you said, hey, sign me up for whatever it is. I'll go, I'll support, I'll, whatever I got to do, connect me to that. In other words, I'm not just praying for God to come fix all the problems. I'm saying, count me in now and let my hands get dirty doing it now. If there's peace and justice to be brought and I want it one day, I'm going to start doing it now. his kingdom can come that was Jesus's message to those of us who are in the kingdom Uh, this is what connects our heart to it partners when you're partnering with God you pray I hope your kingdom comes Lord because when I see what it's doing already right now in San Antonio Honduras Saint Lucia UGM Fort Worth when I see what it's doing now I can pray that it will come because we're already doing it I'm engaged I'm a part of it this is what I'm talking to God about when we, when, you, when we were on the border of Romania and Ukraine, and that was one of the, most, the things I was most excited to do, was to get to that border. There's a, there's a Romanian pastor who doesn't speak, you know, that language. He's got a little sign on him in, in Ukraine, a little, little sticker. As soon as they come off, because that's the place they come out, Come across. It says in Ukrainian, I'm here to help. And then 200 yards away from him is his church. And it's not incredibly big, but it's the first building these folks come to. This pastor and that church, it's wiped clean on the inside, and all that's there are beds for people to sleep in, right, side-by-side in families. And you say to yourself, man, I don't know what the kingdom's going to look like. It's going to look something like this, where people are caring about other people fully. And isn't it incredible? A little pastor doing the best he can with the little space he has and the little food he has and the little money he has, doesn't have a lot of resources. He is helping those people the best that he can, bringing about justice and peace and love it's already happening, Hillside. The kingdom's already at work. All around the world, there are kingdom people doing it. And when you pray this prayer, you say, I want in on that. So that, that's how you pray. You pray with hope and you pray perspective. You can't pray for his return without living like he's already here. That's Jesus' point. The kingdom's already here in a lot of ways, folks. Start living it. And then I'll bring it. So. Then finally you have this phrase. Let your will be done. By the way Luke doesn't include that. So it's got us all in an uproar about whether or not it was supposed to be included in there or what. Matthew has it. Luke doesn't. It just seems like when Jesus prays, sometimes you can include this line. You don't have to. This line seems to sort of grow out of the kingdom line. If God's ruling over a kingdom, you assume that what he wants done gets done. But Matthew wants to verbalize it. And I'll tell you what that means if he rules. His will gets done. He wants it done. It gets done. And so he sort of presses this whole idea of Jesus's rule, God's rule, down deeper where the battle rages in each of us. And again, of course it means that one day the universe, not only will God rule over it, but everyone will do what he says. Right? That's the whole idea. Everyone will do what he says. But if one day I want God to have his way in everything in the universe because I know it must be and it's the absolute best thing if we're all doing what he says, then I must surrender to it now in my life. I can't just say, hey, it would be great to have a big old kingdom and God's in charge of everything and not imagine that I'm doing what he wants me to do even now before that happens. You know, which one of us hasn't prayed that God would overthrow a a Putin? From whatever little perspective we have on the planet, which is very little, by the way. Something doesn't seem right about it, and it's got everybody on the planet irritated, overwhelmed. Which one of us hasn't prayed for the arrogance, the evil, the inhumanity? You're like, God, come get this thing overthrown. And it'll be no small feat, by the way, when he comes and has to overcome the Putins of the world and all the other sick, evil structures on the planet that are at work how hard do you think it's going to be to overthrow all of those and set up his own kingdom universally globally no small thing but when we come to pray and we pray this prayer your will be done god your kingdom come we have to remember there's a little there's a little selfish dictator in every one of us and we'll cross lines and invade territory that isn't ours and hurt people to get what we want You can't pray for the Putins of the world to be dominated if your heart's not willing to be dominated. That's this prayer. When you come to pray this prayer, it's because you're concerned about those things and you're actively engaged in making sure those things are happening in your world and that you participate in the things that are kingdom-oriented. That you have a stake in those. And surrender is going to feel like death Always when your will gets overridden by God's, it'll feel like you're dying. In fact, that's what's so beautiful about a a window into, look at this. I'm going to show you Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there are all of the, there's like four echoes of the Lord's prayer in his prayer, because that's where he says, not my will but yours be done. The same thing Matthew just said which may be one of the reasons why Matthew included it. So they're in Gethsemane. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I want you guys to sit here and pray. There's the first reference to Matthew 6. I'm going to show you how to pray. And taking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee began to be sorrowful and troubled and troubled, And he said to them, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Which basically means what's happening to me right now is killing me. It's going to be the death of me. What I'm talking to God about. It's going to be the death of me. So stay here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face. He prayed. Look what he prays. Here's the second reference. Except he says, my father instead of our father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Here's the third echo. Not my will, but as you will. He comes back to the disciples, and they're out like lights. You couldn't watch with me one hour? I to a, a, watch and pray that you may not... That you may not enter temptation. Where have we heard that? Where? ding, 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 ding. Where have we heard that? Lord's Prayer. Jesus actually uses the words. We're going to understand what it means not to be led into temptation when we understand Matthew 26. It's not an easy phrase, but it's the second time. It's I mean it's here. It's used again, and then he'll use the whole idea of being willing. Uh, again, look. He'll say it one more time. My Father your will be done. So here's Jesus, in the thick of it in the garden, about to die, praying this prayer. You get these echoes. And here's something you get. This is so incredibly powerful. What happens if you don't pray? What happens if you've come up with some intellectual reason why prayer doesn't fit into your relationship with God? You know what you basically do? You pull yourself out of the whole experience. You're sleeping, and while Jesus is in the crisis, you just disengaged from the entire kingdom itself. And what you learn here is you—it pictures what happens when we don't engage God and be, get concerned about these concerns of His. We become spiritually vulnerable. I'm not even talking to God about those things. Well, you're vulnerable then. I don't participate in any of them. Then you're vulnerable. That's what the message is. And let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus is praying this prayer because he does not know what God's will is? What do you think God's will is for Jesus to do in the garden or eventually? Die. Do you think Jesus is asking because he doesn't know the answer to that question? No, he knows the answer to that question. It's the reason he became flesh. It's the reason he came here. Hebrews 10 says, God, this is the only conversation you're going to get in heaven about God and Jesus before he comes to earth. A body I've given you, and I want you to sacrifice it for sin. Jesus knew exactly why he was here. What you're seeing is Jesus coming to grips right here at the edge You're seeing him come to grips with it emotionally and volitionally and mentally and saying, God, we are right here together. I don't want anything to get in the way of this. And you better believe that's exactly what he does. He doesn't resist arrest. He doesn't defend himself at the trials. He doesn't retaliate when they hit him. All he does is forgive the whole way. Now, listen, when you come, when you pray that prayer, your will be done, that's what you're saying, God. And it'll feel like you're dying. And it's kind of what's happening. It's not an easy thing to pray. We had, uh, I'll kind of close with this picture. We had uh, Amy Bream here, um, uh, on Friday, you know, with with the ladies' ministry, I don't know if it was this past Friday, or the one before, I can't remember them all anymore. I think it was just a week ago, but it was a great time. I wanted to meet her bad because she's a CrossFitter. She's a games athlete. She's a CrossFit games athlete. So she's a beast, and I mean that in the best sense of the word. Um, true beast. She's doing stuff in CrossFit. I'll never be, I, I'd never even dream of being able to do. It's just incredible. And uh, she told her story up here on the stage to the ladies. You know, she's a pretty young gal, and she, was, she, she grew up learning music. She's a saxophone player. She writes music, uh, sings and plays, and moved to Nashville thinking that that was what God wanted her to do with her life. Well, then COVID hit and, you know, changed a few things. And, and, and in March of 21, just, you know, gets connected to some, starts a little kickboxing. She's got no leg. She have a leg missing. That's how she was born. And so having never done a physical thing in her life, she starts doing some physical stuff. And within a year, within a year is at the adaptive CrossFit Games. And I mean insane uh, when I say beast, I don't think you know what I'm talking about here. Beast. Her life gets completely redirected, and now God wants her to use this platform. She thought this was the way all her life, and she loves music. And God started to redirect her, and it was a radical thing. It happened all within a year. And I, on the stage here, she talked about the crisis that came. When God wanted her to go in this room, you know, I'm telling you, he's given her a great platform. She's a great, she's on Nike commercial. She's, she's, she, she has a platform and, uh, and God's using it, but she didn't, she fought him. God, this is not the world I want to go into. She ended up doing it and it's happening. And she, and she recounts that crisis and she has this on her arm now. Thy will be done, it says, to mark the crisis of how God just completely redirected my life. That's what happens when his will gets done. Usually something in yours gets crushed. And I'll tell you this as we close. This is what it says at the end of the sermon. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went into the kingdom. We've talked about that, but notice what the next line is the one who does the will of my Father. There it is. Not just prays for the will, does the will. You don't want his will now in your life, you're not going to see it in heaven. I don't think, close, I think it's possible, it's assessing my own life here, that we don't pray because we really don't have anything to talk to God about. Kind of like in a marriage, you know, you can get to a point, we haven't talked enough and then pretty soon, we're not even on the same page. I don't, I don't know what he wants, she wants. We don't even, we can't even communicate. And that's because you don't have the same concerns. You are not partnering in life together. And that's what happens with God. His concerns aren't your concerns. They're not the thing you wake up to deal with. It's not being integrated into your life. And so you have nothing to talk to him about. Let me give you an illustration of that. So we're in Romania. uh, And, um, we're, and it's a hundred miles an hour meeting with different people, trying to figure out how to help the Ukrainians in different areas and different places. And I mean, every meeting seemed like it carried the weight of, I mean, people's lives. And we'd be in vans. We'd be, in, you know, eating at a table. We'd be, uh, we could be standing in a place none of us had been at before, talking to people none of us had ever met before. And this is something that Kirk does. He'll, he'll. We could be. You could be in the middle of eating. You could be. We could be driving in the van talking about. Well, this is my problem. I, I've got these people here, but I can't. I don't know what to do with them. And Kirk will stop immediately. He'll just start praying. He doesn't give anybody an alert. Everybody just go, oh. oh, oh. I go, what's going on? You know, and pretty soon I got used to it. He'd put his hand on whoever was talking. So I see the issue here. I see the crisis here. It's bigger. It's bigger than all of us. And he'd just break out in a prayer in, in anywhere. It just, all of a sudden, <laughs> He just never knew it was going to happen. And you know why? Because I'm interacting. I, I'm, in, I'm in the crisis. I'm in the game. I, I've got a problem to solve that concerns God. If you don't have those, you've got nothing to talk to them about. You don't have to be in Romania. The problem could be in your house. you got something to talk about with God. If you don't, that may be one of the reasons you're not praying. His concerns become your concerns. His kingdom, his name, and his will. Father, we want to be drawn in. We don't want to just see you do something great. We want to be a part of it, integrated, integrated your kingdom into our lives. We have plenty to talk about. In Jesus' name.